everybody. Welcome to Outbeat Radio on KRCB Windsor, Santa Rosa, a program that focuses on issues by, for, and about members of the gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, queer, and questioning communities. You can hear Outbeat Radio every Sunday night at 8 p.m. This is Living Proof, and we're your hosts. I'm Dr. Diana Grayer, and next to me is my co-host and wife, Sheridan Gold. Tonight, our guest is Sarah Langford. Sarah lives in Oakland and has been there since 1997. She's a painting contractor and owns her own business. She just can't imagine leaving, but thinks one day she'll be back in Sonoma County. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much for taking your time to be with us tonight. Hi, guys. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. So we are really looking forward to speaking with Sarah in more detail and learning about her life and her funny stories and uh, all that stuff. But first, here's news and events with Outbeat member and our engineer, Greg Moralia. This is Greg Moralia with your Outbeat Radio News for the week of January 7th, 2024. A transgender woman who's been incarcerated in a men's prison in the state of Georgia has filed a lawsuit against the State Department of Corrections, along with two of its for-profit medical contractors, for denying her gender-affirming care. The complaint was filed on December 6th and identifies the woman as Jane Doe, and it alleges that the department refused to treat her severe and overwhelming gender dysphoria. Citing the department's blanket ban on gender-affirming surgery, the complaint says the lack of access has led her to continue to suffer catastrophic gender dysphoria symptoms. According to the lawsuit, the 55-year-old woman has identified as a woman since early childhood and began living as a woman back in 1988. She was incarcerated in 1992 and has been held at the Phillips State Prison since April of 2022. She's been diagnosed with gender dysphoria by multiple medical professionals at the facilities in which she has been housed since 1993. She began receiving hormone replacement therapy in 2015, but was denied access to items that would aid her in social transition. The complaint alleges that the Department of Corrections staff confiscated clothing that she tailored to appear more feminine and shaved her head bald as her hair began to grow out. The lawsuit accuses the Department of Corrections and its contractors of violating the Eighth Amendment and the American Disabilities Act, as well as the Rehabilitation Act of 1973. Scott Novak, the complainant's attorney, said that the blanket ban on providing gender-affirming surgery violates not only the department's own policy, but also basic medical standards and the U.S. Constitution. And in the state of Iowa, a federal judge temporarily blocked the enforcement of two parts of the state law that would ban books and curriculum from schools that discuss gender identity or sexual orientation. U.S. District Judge Stephen Locker's preliminary injunction was filed last week and blocks the enforcement of two provisions of the state law, the book ban and curriculum restrictions, with both were set to go into effect on January 1st. The judge called the ban, quote, incredibly broad, end quote, and noted that the law has already resulted in the removal of hundreds of books from Iowa libraries. These books include Pulitzer Prize-winning books and nonfiction history books, many that appear on advanced placement exams and even books designed to help students avoid being victimized by sexual assault. The restrictions likely violated the First Amendment, according to the judge. The ruling came based on two lawsuits that were filed against the state of Iowa, one by ACLU Iowa in early November, and another by a publisher, Penguin Random House Books, in early December. 
Iowa is just one of several Republican-led states to pass laws strengthening what advocates often describe as parental rights over the past few years. And critics argue that the controversial movement is aimed at limiting the rights of LGBTQ plus people and other marginalized students. And here in California, according to the Bay Area Reporter, the state has launched a new LGBTQ cultural training requirement for pharmacists and pharmacy technicians who are licensed in the state. It's rolling out an online course starting with licensees up for renewal in 2024. The training was required to be in place by January 1st due to the enactment of a 2022 assembly bill authored by gay assembly member Chris Ward of San Diego. Its operative date was delayed a year in order to provide the California Board of Pharmacy time to implement it and for accredited professional groups to create the training about the concerns of LGBTQ patients. Ann Sodergan, the state board's executive officer, told the Bay Area Reporter, the LGBTQ training is now an ongoing condition of renewal for pharmacists and pharmacy technicians, and this means that they'll need to take it every two years when they must renew their licenses. The need for such LGBTQ health information being taught to pharmacy students in college courses has been highlighted within the profession in recent years, both on university campuses and in academic papers. And finally, San Francisco's Archbishop Salvador Cordelione was quick to issue a memo in response to Pope Francis's announcement last month about priests now being allowed to bless same-sex couples. In a memo obtained by the Bay Area Reporter, Archbishop Cordelione wrote that the Vatican document has been misunderstood, quote, by some reports and analysis but he didn't indicate how. He went on to state, quote, please do not rely on secular media stories, which are easily being fueled by ignorance, anonymity, and judgmentalism, end quote. We'll have more on this story on this month's edition of Outbeat News in Depth, airing the fourth Sunday of January. For Outbeat Radio News, I'm Greg Moralia. And if you just joined us, we are talking with Sarah Langford. And Sarah, again, we want to thank you so much for coming on the show and taking time out of your busy schedule. No, thank you. I really look forward to it. Yeah, us too. We're looking forward to getting to know you a little bit better. So why don't you start off by just telling us a little bit about yourself, your hobbies, your passion, your work, just anything that will help our listeners get to know you a little bit better. Um, well, I'm 55 and I left Sonoma County for greener pastures, um, with work and a girl and I never left. You said in the intro, I've been here since 97 and I absolutely love it. The recent crime wave is new and scary, but none of my neighbors are uprooting. We're all staying and I just, I love Oakland and so this has become part of my life. I've made a lot of friends here, but I keep touch with all of my friends in Sonoma County. So I'm up there a lot. And so my hobbies with them are usually golf. One of my friends who lives in Santa Rosa, she and I were uh, participants in the San Francisco Gay Softball League for years. And we did that every Sunday and we traveled with them across the country. So softball used to be a big deal with me, but I gave that up. But mostly just, you know, the older you get, it's, it tends to turn into hiking and biking. 
Um, so as much free time as I can get to do that, I love doing it. Those are pretty much my hobbies. And anytime I can have a moment to myself to turn the music up loud, that's the other thing. I love, 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 love listening to music. What kind of music is your favorite music? Well, I just went to a Pink concert. So I, I, I respect her music so much. She's so incredibly talented, but I don't have any albums. So I'm old school. I am Indigo Girls. I am Sarah McLaughlin. I am from that genre. I don't know why, but that's what speaks to me. But you give me good jazz, good musicals, I'm all in. I still constantly listen to the uh, Hamilton soundtrack. I can't stop. I, I'm an addict. Very Music addict. <laughs> I am. I love it. So yeah, I really don't. I, I love it all. Mm-hmm. And I love the Dixie Chicks. There it is. I said it. <laughs> love them well this is a show you can just <laughs> share it all and be honest here right. so we no judgment no judgment from us so yeah you say you went to oakland because you were drawn there because of a a, a girl right now woman maybe probably so yes <laughs> <laughs> or whatever yeah so tell us about that well, how did that happen that was um a friend of my sister's and um i met her through my sister and then she became friend. We all, uh, a group of us became friends and the relationship just started from there, but it didn't last but a year. I think I'm not, I don't remember, but you know, it was my first relationship with a woman. I'd been dating boys before that men, I guess. I don't know. It just wasn't right. And so we, um, we didn't last long, but it, was, it just opened me up. It really, really did. So I learned so much about myself. I learned so much about relationships. That first, that first relationship is so important. And so I stayed in Oakland and I don't know where she is, but we did remain friends. And, but I, I, I've lost touch with her. Also a great way to learn about Oakland. That's how I realized I wanted to stay because there were a lot of lesbians here in Oakland. And there still are, but it was, it was really an eye opener. And I went, oh, I could live here. And that's where I just felt my heart was. So that was a very short, like I said, short lived relationship, but it taught me a lot. So is the lesbian community still vibrant over there? I don't hear people saying much about Oakland lesbians, but a lot of San Francisco lesbians. So I don't see a lot of San, I'm not in the city as much as I used to be when I played softball. I was there a lot. I'm not in there as much as I used to be. So I'm not sure how big the community is in San Francisco. It's huge here. It's huge. So let me just talk about my street. Okay. Oh. There's me. There's an older couple in their 80s down the street. They're awesome. I adore them. Across the street from them is another lesbian. Down the street from them is another lesbian. We're everywhere. Wow. That's just my street. Yeah. And so there are a lot of lesbians in Oakland. It's really great because nobody notices you. You are just who you are. Who cares? Nobody cares. So that is really refreshing. And I love it. I love it. I love that nobody looks at you sideways. Sonoma County is getting like that, though. When I left, it wasn't quite like that. But everybody's leaving here and going to Sonoma County. And I've noticed it is so much easier to be a lesbian in Sonoma County when I'm up visiting, because I'm up there all the time. 
And, and nobody looks at me sideways up there. And that made me feel really great being up in Sonoma County. Because when I left, I didn't feel like that. I'm assuming it has taken people leaving the immediate Bay Area and going up there, and then just the internet, enlightening people. I, I, I'm not sure, but it's changed. So tell us about it. How, when you left, it wasn't like that. So tell us your experience here. Um, I just didn't feel that, um, I don't want to say safe. I never felt unsafe, but I felt like I was a bit of an outcast because of how I looked. There's no getting around uh, that I'm, I'm a lesbian. There, it, it, I just wear it. That's how it is. I've always worn it. And I don't, I don't make any apologies for it. And I just felt uncomfortable. It's, I don't know how to explain it. I didn't have any encounters, but I got stared at. And I didn't like it. I didn't want to be stared at. Just here I am. This is me. And I never got that when I moved to Oakland. Never got it. And I felt so comfortable. I went, this is my home. And when I would go back up to Sonoma County shortly after I had moved to Oakland and do birthday parties for my friends up there, or we would go to some event, it felt different. And I could feel sideway glances. And, and part of me just wanted to turn around and go, hi, have you never seen a lesbian before? I didn't have the courage to do it. But yeah, that's how it felt. And what was interesting, though is when I was up there in uh, Santa Rosa during the first Obama election, 2008, I was visiting with my, we always do this, every big election night, I go up to Sonoma County to my best friend Ginny's house. And I had my Obama t-shirt on and I went into Whole Foods to get some uh, champagne and some food. And people saw my Obama t-shirt and they were flipping out. Oh my God, can I take a photo? Can I take a photo? Oh, where'd you get that? And it was at that moment I realized things have changed. That's interesting. I didn't feel that when I left. Now, mind you, I wasn't politically as politically involved, but it felt safer because people saw me and then saw my T-shirt and we were all on the same team. And um, that had a real big impact on me. So uh, that's about when, 2008, when I went, okay, Sonoma County, it's changing and I, I'm loving it. I'm not saying people were homophobic. I'm just saying it just, I, I don't know if they just hadn't seen the short hair and the t-shirt and the jeans. And I, you know, I, I get sore a lot, but I, I don't, I don't get any of that anymore when I'm up in Sonoma County. And I definitely, I don't seem to get it up here, or, pardon me, down here in Oakland. So I'm really proud of Sonoma County. So you, you left in 1997, is that right? Is that when you moved to Oakland? Now how, how long did you live in Sonoma County before you moved? I was two years old. I was born in San Francisco and my parents got tired of the fog. And so in 1970, they moved to Roner Park. And I was raised in Roner Park when it was all fields. There was none of what you see now. There was no where... Um, is it Walmart? I'm not positive if it's Walmart. It was a drive-in theater. I learned to drive the Volkswagen Bug on that uh, two-lane road that's, I think it still exists down there, where I guess it takes you to the um, casino now? I'm not sure. But it was all fields. I remember when McDonald's came. It was a big deal. Oh, my God, we have a McDonald's. Woo! <laughs> so um, 
I was there until 97. Yeah. And like I said, a job and a girl takes you out of, takes you out of your hometown. So I know that you said you're 55 and you were, you moved there when you were two, but can you give us the year you left in 97 and you arrived in 70? Arrived in Rotor Park in 1970 from San Francisco with my parents. Yeah. Okay. So 27 years in Sonoma yeah. County, raised yeah. in Ronert Park, mm -hmm. going to Ronert Park schools and. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when there was only one high school, one junior high. Wow. I think three elementary schools. It was a tiny little town. You're a Ronert Park historian. <laughs> Yeah, well, there was a Crane Melon Festival that was great. That was always fun. We had the Founders Day Parade. It was a real small town. And then tax dollars must have been needed because they um, bought in every fast food you can think of. And then now the casino, which I refuse to stare at when I'm on a freeway. I just pretend it's not there. I'm not kidding. I, I'm so sickened by it. <laughs> it was a really great time to grow up in Sonoma County. There used to be a minor league baseball team there. The Crushers, wasn't it? The Crush. The Crushers, right? I went to a game. It was fun. I think they gave everybody free beer. If somebody if somebody hit a home run, they gave you a free beer or something. Stop it, really? Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> The night I was there, because I remember standing in line for one. <laughs> I, I, get, I didn't give it two thoughts. I'd gone to a handful of games, but now I would go all the time because of how expensive it is to go to a major league game. But yeah, tucked away where I think um, Costco area used to be, I think. Or I'm not positive, but yeah, on that side of the freeway. So yeah, it was a good town my mother being the um woman from san francisco who you know country living was beneath her you know she goes oh my god i've moved to the town of gun racks and cool's beer <laughs> she spent the rest of her life there so yeah are your parents still there no, uh, sadly, my mother passed away in, in 97, late 97, and then my father passed away in 2019. They had divorced. My dad moved outside, out of Sonoma County, but my mom stayed. So, must have loved it enough. Well, they were out of the fog. Oh, my gosh. I go visit friends in San Francisco. I'm like, how do people do this? The zoo animals, do they ever see the sun? Oh. Do they ever see the sun out at the zoo? Huh. Mm -hmm. So you were happy to get to Sonoma County by the sun. Oh, I loved it. I, the summers in Sonoma County are just so beautiful. But when I was making the move to Oakland in 97, I thought about moving to San Francisco. And then I thought, no, 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 I need sun. And so Oakland, the fog will stop right in the middle of the bay. And it will drift off into Berkeley. But Oakland will stay warm and sunny. Oakland has kind of Sonoma County weather. And it's just, you go up into the hills here and you look west and epic views. Epic. We don't get the Sonoma County heat that y'all get in the summertime. You're talking about Roanoke Park and growing Roanoke Park in the country. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so we're curious to know about you're coming out about how, how was that to be in the country and knowing who you were or did you know or not know, right? Yeah, that was a really interesting time because in my life, I knew something was very different 
I had these raging crushes on girls, but I just thought I wanted to be friends with them. But I instinctively, intellectually, as an eight-year-old, I knew that I wanted more than a friendship, but I couldn't, I couldn't piece it together. And so I just lived with it. Every year, every grade, I got a crush on somebody and it was intense, but I just thought I want to be friends. So I, then I thought, oh, well, I'll just really try and focus on boys. And I didn't put any effort into it, but I thought that's what I was supposed to do. I didn't dress girly, but I didn't dress super butch or anything like that. So I didn't get teased in high school. High school was pretty normal, nothing out of the ordinary. But then I became friends with my very best friend, Ginny. And we went, we went to band camp together at Sac State. And we just became fast friends. I don't remember if it was her senior year, my junior year, or we had graduated, but we would sit in our car after just driving all around Sonoma County for hours and talking and talking. And we'd park in one of our driveways, either her parents' house or my parents' house. And we would talk and talk about crushes. We would look at each other. I remember the night we looked at each other. Do you think you're gay? Do you think you're gay? And we bonded over that. And we would talk about our crushes, but neither one of us would do anything about it. She went on with her life of going to work and not, I don't know if she went on any dates or anything. I don't think she did. I didn't go on any dates because we were both so terrified. And then she, I don't remember the time frame, but she finally got super bold and said, what am I doing? I'm coming out. And she came out. And I was really happy for her, jealous, and I was still scared. And so my whole thing was, well, what, what if I go to a gay bar and I see somebody? And she says, they're at a gay bar. Like, oh, and there was only in Sonoma County, one gay bar, really, unless you went into Guerneville. But in Santa Rosa, it was the inn. So it took a while for me to come out. She had been in a relationship with someone, and we all, the three of us, would go do social stuff. And I finally, they took me to a gay bar in Walnut Creek. And I went, okay, let's do it. There's no way I'm going to know anybody here. And I'm like, oh, okay. And the more we hung out, the more I got comfortable. And then the, I came out to my mom. I used to do local theater. I was with the Santa Rosa Players. And then I did another something in Petaluma. And I was playing a lesbian. Oh, crap. I got to tell my mom. Shoot. Okay. So I go over to my mom's house and I said, hey, I, got, I want to talk to you. And she's sitting at the breakfast nook table. I said, what is something about me you've known your whole life about me? Well, I don't know, honey. What? I said, well, you've known this my whole life. Everybody, you and dad and Roger, every, Roger's my uncle. Everybody's known this about me. Oh, I don't know. I go, oh, come on. I said, I'm gay. Oh, well, Yeah. Of course. I mean, yeah. Okay. I said, all right, I'm gay. And she leaps up from her chair and she goes to give me a hug. And she says, I don't love you any less. And I said, no, I know. I know. And she says, I just want you to know that I don't love you any less. I said, I know. Okay. And she literally goes, okay, what would you like for dinner? <laughs> that was it. Yeah. And I said, I'm telling you this, mom, because I'm going to be in a play and I'm playing a lesbian. And I just figured I can't lie that, oh, no, I'm just playing a lesbian. And so she was really good about it. So and we didn't have a healthy relationship. But 
My parents never, ever tried to make me into something I'm not ever. For school, when we get new clothes for school, my mom would take my sister into the girls' department and my dad would take me into the boys' department. They didn't care. Never cared. It was never an issue. So I was very fortunate in that. So being a lesbian wasn't an issue, but you said you had other family. You and your mom didn't get along? Yeah, we just didn't have a healthy relationship. And so I, I was always nervous about coming out to her because um, I thought she would use it against me or say something mean to me just to be mean. She never did. She never, ever, ever did. And so I was always hesitant in telling her. I guess I, I, guess I didn't trust her, but I could. She was fine. Yeah. So my sister, who is a little more than two years older than me, I was helping her clean up one day, the day after Thanksgiving years ago, and she was at the kitchen sink. Her back was to me. I was sitting on the sofa, and I was reading a paper, and she, she stops doing dishes, and she says to me, can I ask you a question? And I said, yeah, sure. And I closed the newspaper, and out loud, I go, here it comes. And she goes, are you gay? And I said, I am. Okay, well, I just wanted to know. Okay, that's fine. I just figured because you went to a Melissa Etheridge concert. <laughs> she was on her honeymoon with her husband. And she says, um, you called us or something and told us that you were going to a Melissa Etheridge concert. And she says, I hung up the phone. I turned to Ed, her husband. And she says, oh, my God, I think my sister's gay. She went to a Melissa Etheridge concert. And, you know, my brother-in-law's cool. He doesn't care. He's like, oh, okay, well, so? So she was walking me to my car. And she starts crying. I go, why are you crying? Why are you crying? And she says, well, I'm worried about you. I said, I'm going to be fine. She says, but people are mean. I said, I'll be fine. It's going to be fine. And then she pauses and says, should I join PFLAG? I said, do you think you need to join PFLAG? She says, I don't think so. I said, do you have anything to talk to anybody about? She says, I don't think so, no. I said, then you don't need to go to PFLAG. She goes, well, I kind of thought that's what people did. I said, no, 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 no. If you don't think you need to join and talk about it, you're fine. And she never did. It's a non-issue in our family. It's a big non-issue. And she married into a wonderful family who have accepted me. And I think of her in-laws as my family. So it's been really great. I've been very fortunate. Wonderful to hear the story of your family. What about your father? We lost contact with him after the divorce. And then before my sister had her daughter, right before she had her daughter in 2003, we reconnected and it was strained, but he didn't care. He was awesome. He had a picture of us vacationing up at Shasta on a houseboat and I'm, I'm in shorts with no top and I've got a fishing reel going. And I'm going to catch me the biggest catfish in Lake Shasta. And that's how I lived when I was, when my parents were married. I just ran around in shorts and no shirt. My parents understood what was happening. They were way ahead of their time in their wokeness, way ahead of their time. And so I was very fortunate. Thank you so much for sharing your family with us. It is time for our music break. And you did mention one of your favorite singers. And I think you brought a song by her. Could you introduce the song and why you brought it? It's Sarah McLaughlin's Backdoor Man. And her voice is 
if you don't get goosebumps from her voice with certain songs, I just, I, I'd be, I'm stunned when people just, oh yeah, that's okay. Her voice is magical. She's got this range and her lyrics are just so intense. But it's mostly her voice is just, I don't know how to describe it. It's just amazing to me. Doesn't mean I'm right. I just, I love her. Love, love, love her. And why Backdoor Man? Just what she does with her voice. Okay. In the, in the bridge. It's amazing. All right. Yeah. Thank you for bringing the song and um, yeah. everybody enjoy Sarah McLaughlin singing Backdoor Man and we will see you on the other side.
and welcome back. This is Living Proof with Diana and Sheridan, and we are talking with Sarah Langford. And Sarah, we just went over your family and your family history a little bit, and we were wondering if you are in relationship. Currently, I'm not. I wouldn't call myself a workaholic, but I work close to six days a week. So I'm also just kind of being lazy about getting on the internet and getting on a dating website. I did it years ago. It was a little disappointing for me and I was kind of turned off by it. So I I haven't done it since. And I have a neighbor down the street. We walk our dogs together and she and her boyfriend are constantly saying that they want to write my profile and put it on a a website. And I'm always telling them, you do it, go for it. I'm not forbidding you to doing it. So go for it. So they vow they're going to do it. So. So they invested in you getting a relationship for some reason. They are very invested. It's so funny. But is that the only way you can meet people nowadays? You would have thought that I would have met somebody by now. Um, it seems it though, doesn't it? What happened to the old fashioned meet people? You know, I'm, I'm all over the Bay Area every day. Um, I'm meeting new people all the time. I do social stuff all the time. And it's weird. I have not met anybody. And I'll check in with friends. I go, am I weird? what's going on and they all laugh they go oh my god no 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 you just haven't met the person yet so this sounds trite and i don't mean it to sound trite but it is what it is uh, i've got uh, wonderful friends i'm busy with work like i i love my neighborhood so i'm not lonely thank god i'm not lonely but it would be very nice to be in a relationship yes Okay, so maybe we have to figure out, like, what are you interested in looking for? Maybe there's a listener. <laughs> we, we are known to be matchmakers. Yes. yes. Funny, I have this image in my head of what I think I want, and I end up dating people who are not that, which is great, because clearly this image is something made up. I haven't had a head turner. And again, they don't have to be the striking beauty. It just has to be something that triggers me. And I've had a few of those, but they, there's been no dating from it, unfortunately. But I haven't had one of those in a while. So, and again, it's not for not being out and about. That is for sure. It, it, it'll happen, I guess. That's the attitude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got to keep a good attitude. <laughs> well, that's good that you're happy and you're not lonely and all of that stuff. So. Yeah, yeah, that's really. Yeah, there, I, I, like I said about my neighborhood, we, I don't know if it's a, because we live in, a, in an area, my neighbor is super, super cute. Crime has crept up in here in Oakland, in this neighborhood, but um, we all have little dogs and we form this little pack of our humans and we walk our dogs all the time. And sometimes I'll be cooking my dinner and I'll get a knock on the door and I know it's my neighbor who wants to walk dogs. And, I'm, and I literally think to myself, give me a break. Just give me some time to be alone. I'm cooking dinner. And I, so I told her once, I get, you got to text me before you come over. Oh no, I don't text. I go, <laughs> oh my gosh. I can't answer the door then. So I did. I stopped answering the door. I needed a break. I love my neighbors, but it isn't downtime. But it's a great situation here with all the with people who are um wanting to walk together with our dogs i love it so you talk about the crime you mentioned it a couple times that it has increased or started up are lgbtq plus people are they affected by it what are you noticing i've not read a lot about hate crime it is just opportunity type crime 
breaking into cars, the poor donut shop on Lakeshore, poor people, three times in less than a month and a half, less than a month maybe, they had their donut shop broken into. So luckily the community came together and is really trying to support them and not have them leave. So it's mostly burglary, carjackings. So I'm not reading a lot about hate crime, except for when it happened during the pandemic, I believe it was. There was a lot of Asian hate crime. And again, the Oakland came together. It really came to an end. It's not at an end, but it really shortened it because the community came together to support the Asian community. I don't doubt for a millisecond they wouldn't do the same for the gay community. I don't doubt for a second. It's nice walking through this neighborhood and the neighboring neighborhoods and you see large signs in people's windows. Stop Asian hate. Black Lives Matter. And then signs that say, this house supports science. I love it. I love it. So you mentioned work, that you work six days a week. And we, in our introduction, talked about or introduced you as you owning your own business. Could you talk a little bit about your work life? Yeah. I um, When I moved to Oakland in 97, I started working with my uncle who had just started his own paint company. And it was just me and him. And I, and at the time, I was splitting time between here and Petaluma. I worked at the Boys and Girls Club in Petaluma, teaches swimming, and I loved it. But I made more and more money here. And so I, had a, I decided I, I was going to move. I had to quit the Boys and Girls Club. And um, I realized I'm a pretty darn quick learner at painting. And like I said, the money was good. So my uncle and I started growing his business and he slowly started bringing on one or two people at the time it was mostly fellows we'd pick up at home depot and they were awesome and my uncle was awesome to these men awesome bought lunch every day we'd have coolers of water and sodas and a lot of the guys wanted to stay but Business wasn't skyrocketing that fast. And then eventually it did, but he was started hiring some legal fellas because he was afraid of getting in trouble. And from there, things just skyrocketed. And I was his right-hand woman. I did everything he did. I did the estimates. I was the forewoman. I did everything. We had clients who wouldn't let us on their property unless I was there. And that my ego exploded on that one. So I was with him for, I don't know how many years, 12, when I realized I was done, I, I needed to go on my own. So I got my license and I just, I gave him warning, I'm leaving and I left. I didn't take one of his clients. I didn't, I just left. And I happened to find somebody needed a painter and I ended up painting their house outside. It was very difficult, very detail-oriented house and I did it. And from there, um, I've not looked back. Uh, half of his clients called me. Where are you? I said, well, I no longer work for Roger. Oh, okay. Well, you're a painter now. I don't want Roger. I want you. And no joke. I, half of his clients came to me. I have repeat clients. I work for a lot of real estate agents. That's actually most of my work is with real estate agents, getting the house ready for market. Or if somebody has bought a house, they are looking for us to come in and give them their fresh paint job. And we're booming. Business is booming. As long as the housing market's different here in Oakland, for all the crime, everybody wants to live here. No joke. 
the houses don't sit in Oakland. There are multiple offers and I can't keep up. I, I can't keep up with these real estate agents. They'll give me dates. Can you do this? I go, no, it's booked. Okay. Can you do this date? No, it's booked. So I'm very fortunate. And I, you know, I run a tight ship. It's got to be good work. It's got to be detailed work. You've got to know how to use a brush. I want cleanliness. My clients seem to love my crew. Thankfully, if I get a, a hint that they don't like somebody on my crew, I'll pull that crew member off and put them somewhere else. So it keeps me busy. I'm no joke. Monday through Saturday is painting. I don't do as much painting as I used to. I wish I did. Truth be told, I actually love painting. I'm going in between jobs, running the errands, meeting with the clients, making sure the client is happy, doing all the detail work of fix this, touch this up. This doesn't look good. If I pick up a brush or a roller, Within 15 minutes, my phone is ringing. Can you meet me at, you know, somebody wants to meet me somewhere. So it's really difficult for me to paint now. And I miss it, truth be told. No joke. I love painting. So it's been like that since I left my uncle's. I wouldn't mind a break. Wow. What a blessing. Yeah. So you, your crew is like, how big is your crew? I only have five guys. So I had six. One of my guys just left to go home to Guatemala to visit with his family. So he flew home just Friday, I guess. He's a really good guy. I really, really like him. I'm hoping he uh, is not gone too long. So I'm a little nervous not having him. So we'll see how it goes. But those six with him. So what, what's the name of your company? It's nothing exciting. It's just Sarah's painting. Any of the women working with you? I've tried two times to hire women and it was just difficult because the skill level, I, I'm all about teaching. Let's teach. I do. I want to show you what I did. Timing, I think was really bad because um, when I brought them on, we were happened to be on some enormous jobs and I wanted her to follow my foreman. Who's a great guy. He's a great teacher and it just didn't go well. So I was going to try and have her follow me. And she wasn't picking it up. She's an artist. She paints pictures and she's a painter that way. And so I would think she was having a hard time transferring to a house. And then I tried it again and it just, the vibe wasn't, nobody was getting along. So I'm now I just really hire word of mouth. I have clients though that get super giddy about having a female contractor. Super giddy. Oh my God. I'm hiring you no matter what. I don't care what your price is. I want to support women in the trades. It's great. I love, I love their enthusiasm. And there are, I've met a couple of women who are contractors, electricians, tile setters, but I don't see them as often as I thought I would. It is a rarity. Yeah, it's weird. This industry, painting, plumbing, electrician, tile setters, this is where you make money all the time. You're never not going to make money. Everybody needs a plumber. Everybody needs an electrician. Everybody needs a painter all the time. So I don't understand. You Obviously, you have to like blue-collar work. You have to like working with your hands. You like to be okay with getting dirty. But it's work. It's It pays well. So it's interesting to me that I don't see more women. And if I do, a couple of women I've seen in the um, paint store, they're just super small. They just do little bitty things for clients. I used to know a couple painters who did more and as they've gotten older, they've done you know less, but yeah, I'm one of the few hanging in there at 55. Still. 
still, I st like I said, I still want to paint, but my crew does most of that, but I'm, I'm there, I get dirty. So I don't, I don't see it as much anymore. And it's a bummer. So what was it about you and your personality that say, Uncle Roger, I got to move on. I got to do my own thing. I want my own business. I want, you know, what was that? Where did that come from? So my uncle, my father's younger brother is gay. He's 80 something now. And he was the first person I came out to. He and his partner were super excited for me. So he took me under his wing. He really, really did. But he, as I stayed with him longer and longer, I realized uh, he has this little bit of a, um, I, I wasn't thrilled with how he was running his company. And so I wanted to stay with him because we built this business together, but I realized I can't support what he's doing. I didn't like it. I knew it would go sour if I stayed longer because I was getting bitter. And so I just told him it's time for me to move on. And he did not like it, but what was he going to do? He, he had to let me fly free. And he would still send clients my way. He was very generous that way. He was very supportive. But I couldn't get behind the way he was running it. Did that affect your relationship in your personal lives with family gatherings and stuff? No, it didn't affect it too badly. It affected me how I viewed him, though. I really thought highly of him. And then that changed. He brought on his partner's son, who was 10 years younger than me to the day. And he treated him better. I didn't like it. And so that really soured me. You don't have Roger's painting without me. You would not have it. I helped you build that business. And the fact that he was bringing his partner's son in and paying him as much as he was paying me. Ah, uh, no, 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 no. And I was better at everything. So that was it. That was the main thing. And then I had to bite the bullet and I chose a holiday weekend to do it. And, um, we're, we're okay, but I don't, at family functions and stuff, we're fine, but I don't view him in such a positive way as I used to. It makes me very sad. It really, really does. But I can't change how I view him because I think he treated me poorly in the end. Sorry that well, happened. Sorry. Yeah, too. But you're very courageous to go out and do this. So that's good to take care of yourself in that way because you deserve better. So I figured somehow, some way people would find me and they've, and I changed my phone number. I, I had a whole new phone number and they found me. I just knew it would be okay. I just knew. So my Ginny, my best friend, Ginny up in Santa Rosa keeps telling me, well, transfer that up here. Come up here. Come on. You can do it up here. And um, I'm sure I could. I'm just, I'm not ready yet. So people sell houses a little differently in Santa Rosa than they do in Oakland. Plus you have all the networking in Oakland. You have people who call you and, and you have working relationships with them. Exactly. So you mentioned local theater and being involved in community theater. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, um, I got interested in it, uh, in acting, and I took an acting class in San Francisco for two, three years. I would drive once or twice a week into the city and take classes with a very well-known acting teacher whose name is absolutely escaping me. And after I finished that course, I would scour the newspaper, because that's what you did back then, for auditions. And I ended up landing auditions. I did a play for Santa Rosa Players, Hot El Baltimore. Then I did Sonoma Shakespeare Festival. And I, I forget the company name and 
play we did, but we did a short run in Petaluma of a play about a lesbian playwright. And right after that is when I moved. And I thought I was going to get involved in local theater here. And I never did because, again, work. That's when I was working 12-hour days, seven days a week. I was I jumped both feet in. But, oh, I loved it. I loved theater. It was the, I'm not sure there's another or better high, probably except for being a musician, of being in front of people, reading some, uh, speaking somebody else's words and bringing it to life. Oh, I loved it. Loved, loved, loved it. And I used to be a drummer in a band. I wasn't the best drummer. It didn't come naturally to me. But theater came naturally to me. But when I did theater, holy moly, it was like, oh, is this what drumming is supposed to feel like? natural it came so easy we just really are enjoying getting to know you and you know this is the first show of the year and you're our guest for the first show of 2024 so we really want to thank you for taking your time letting us know you and letting the listeners know you wow if anyone's out there that needs painting sarah's painting oakland like she needs more work So we always ask our guests for words of wisdom, how they navigate their lives, what they want listeners to know. And what what are your words of wisdom, Sarah? What can you leave us with? Well, things that I've learned over the last few years, and that is trust your gut. Don't ever second guess your gut. People live with something for years and years and years, whatever it may be, coming out, job change. Your gut is telling you something. And you're choosing not to listen to it. Listen to it. There are a couple situations where, doggone it, I wish I listened to my gut. And that is now my personal mantra. My gut speaks up. I'm listening instantly. So I just don't discount it. It's very important. And another thing is, um, as Nike says, just do it. Don't second guess yourself on, oh, I'll be embarrassed. Oh, it's too much. I can't handle it. Do it. You live once. You live once, do it. Tell that person, whoever it may be, a parent you haven't spoken to in years that you love them, a friend you haven't spoken to in years, tell them you love them. Step out of your comfort zone. Just step right out of it. If it's uncomfortable, you're meant to do it. So do it. And that also goes with business. Yeah. Going into a a business, because I'm thinking about you Mm -hmm. taking that risk. Yeah. And I know a lot of women, especially if you're talking to women, especially have a hard time making those decisions to take those risks. Yep, exactly. Yeah, it's nice to hear your philosophy because you told us a story that demonstrates your philosophy. Mm -hmm. You told us this wonderful story. You didn't feel like you were being treated right. You left and started your own thing. And then your words of wisdom are trust your gut and just do it. Right which is exactly what you did. Mm-hmm. It's fa- fantastic. Yeah. A wonderful teaching, Sarah. Yeah, thank you. Now my friends just want me to do it and move back up there. <laughs> just do it. So yeah, as Cher say, we're ending the show, but just one thing about the new year, anything happening, changes you want to make for the new year or hoping for like a relationship or something? <laughs> Yeah, um, I'm definitely hopeful relationship. I'm hoping to do more traveling. I'm hopefully, I'm not hopefully, I'm going to Scotland at the end of March. And I'd like to not have that be my only trip this year. 
So I'm hoping to go to um, other, if not Europe, just travel this year. I, you know, so I bought a travel trailer and I, I want to get my rear end in it. And if, like I said, if not Europe, the Western United States. So that's my plans for 2024 for sure. Yeah. It sounds wonderful. Wonderful. And wow. Wow. Again, it's been really a pleasure and uh, happy new year. Happy new year. Same to you guys. Yeah, yes, thank definitely. You. Thank you for having me. Oh, so welcome. Diana and I thought we would just take a couple minutes to talk about the new year. Sarah brought up some really wonderful things, but the overwhelming theme to us is fuel the fear and do it anyway. Even though Sarah didn't mention fear, it's a lot of fear behind people not wanting to take risks, not wanting to make that move or leave that job. And I was thinking to myself that I have an example of trusting my gut, like she said, and feeling the fear and doing it anyway. And that has to do with leaving my job. I was a teacher in San Rafael for 18 years and it just wasn't working anymore. And with Diana's support, I decided to leave. I had nothing else in store for me. I just had to leave. I had to get out of there. It was very toxic for me and I was starting to feel the headaches and the stomach aches and I knew I wasn't going to last. I was going to get sick. So I did leave my job and it was the best decision I've ever made. Besides knowing Diana and getting together with Diana and marrying Diana, I would say it's the best decision I've ever made in my life. I really set myself free and did what I knew my soul was yearning for, which was not to be teaching in that toxic environment any longer. I was really, really happy that you were strong enough, Cher to make that decision. That does take a lot of strength to make a decision like that. That's a life-changing decision. And you're right. I was very strong and I knew that I needed to leave. So what about you, Diana? So yeah, thanks for sharing that again because I remember how stressed you were during that time. I had no other choice. No, I guess I had a choice to support you. I mean, why wouldn't I when I saw you in such distress? Right. But for me... Mm -hmm. Personally, when I was on the journey of getting my license, I was very, very positive and optimistic and wanted my own practice and wanted to be my own boss and do my own thing. But I had a lot of people, naysayers, a lot of naysayers out there saying, no, 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 you should join a, another therapist and be in partnership with them and get an office and share space. And, you know, I didn't want that. And I decided to do my own thing. I didn't want anybody to influence me in any kind of way. I just knew what I wanted to do. And I was in practice, and I'm still in practice over, you know, 20, 30 years. Still doing what I love to do, working with my clients. And so Sharon and I wanted to take this moment because this is the new year. So this is time and opportunity for you to step into those areas where maybe you've hesitated and felt fear. And now is your time to say, okay, I want to do this. I want to do what I want to do. Because I've worked with lots of different people who wanted to start businesses, who wanted to write books, who wanted to just do all sorts of new things in their lives. And even to leave relationships that weren't healthy for them. 
and eventually they got around to doing it and their lives changed. You know, I had people who wanted to change careers after making money and they just didn't love it anymore. Like you, share, you know, just you couldn't do that particular job anymore. And so it's like, this is your life. You know, Sarah mentioned, you know, this is your life. You don't know if you're going to be here tomorrow. So make those decisions that you feel good about. And you always can do something else. If that path didn't work for you, you can always change and go a different direction. You're not in cement. You're not glued to that decision. And that's what I try and emphasize with people. So this is the new year. Take an inventory and look for those places where you hesitate, where you feel fearful, and your mind is telling you not to approach those areas in your life. And see what happens. I think one of the things that Diana and I had with each other was we had each other. And some people out there don't have a partner or don't have a support system. And I was thinking while you were talking, Diana, you had a lot of naysayers. Yes. Mm -hmm. You had a lot of naysayers and you didn't let that stop you. Mm -hmm. Whereas a lot of people might hear a lot of naysaying and then that's adds to the fear. So part of our words of wisdom would be, besides feel the fear and do it anyway, and trust your gut is find people who will support you. Mm -hmm. And don't be around people who drain you and tell you you're not worth it and don't do it. Because we have too much of that in our life. Go out and find the support system. Make this a goal of yours for 2024. Find people who are positive, who you want to be around, who give you energy, not take energy. Exactly. You matter. And you have to believe that you matter and you deserve the best. Mm. You deserve what you want, just yeah. like everybody else, you know, who gets what they want. You can have what you want. Mm -hmm. So go out, face the fear, Love yourselves, love the people around you, and find, like Cher say, those positive people to be in your life on this journey. Your year, 2024. We hope that you have a wonderful, wonderful, happy, healthy new year in 2024. And we want you to remember that just like Sarah, you too can be living proof that through sharing your story, being visible, being vibrant, finding your niche, finding your place in the world, not letting fear stop you. You too can make our world a better world. This is Diana and Sheridan, and we will be back next month. Until then, good night. I step out of the ordinary. I can feel my soul ascending. I'm on Support for Outbeat Radio on KRCBFM comes from listeners and from Rocky, the free-range chicken, and Rosie, the original organic chicken. Air-chilled, non-GMO, locally raised right here in Sonoma County with no antibiotics ever. More information is available at rockyandrosie.com. You're listening to 104.9 KRCBFM Roanoke Park and KRCGFM Windsor, Sonoma County's NPR station. It's 9 p.m. Stay with us. Beale Street Caravan is next.